0: Folks, if I'm ever killed, please don't let Nancy Pelosi thank me for dying. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. Democrats are
1: set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table.
2: You now can pass things without a filibuster threat.
1: You'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness.
3: Well, Smug, we'll see to it. I promise (laughs) we will see to it that uh, the Speaker of the House keeps your name out of her mouth.
0: Yeah, I mean, mean, what what a take. I mean, there were so many takes, there were billions of takes, but I think the wildest of all is Nancy Pelosi thanking someone for being murdered. Being like, hey, I mean, good job. We're, we you know, thank you for dying, so then I can, I can be up here giving a press conference.
3: <laughs> we're gonna to get go. into, we're gonna get into that a little bit later because she wasn't the only one that basically had a similar take. But I gotta be honest, I'm dragging, man. I got the second Moderna, and boy, oh boy. Yep. I mean, I think you were worse off after the Egyptian flu, but I, I don't know.
0: It was, it was, it was jet lag. Um, but let it me tell was you, jet lag. Let me tell you, if if you could take like a shot that prevented jet lag, I, folks, I would take that. I would take that shot in
4: the heartbeat. I gotta say, Holmes, you definitely sound better than Smug did when he came after back jet lag e- Egypt with the worst case of jet lag in history.
0: Very bad jet lag, folks. His shallow breathing. Yeah. It was. Can we just say it was COVID? I feel like Smug. I don't, had COVID. I don't know, man. I don't know. Did you I, ever get a test? I mean, he, so I, I've gotten my first shot. That's all I'm saying. I got another shot on Friday. I am happy that, thank you, President Trump, and Project, is it light speed or Warp speed? Uh, One of the speeds.
3: Either, either speed, but you care, know, the important part is the HIPAA, <laughs> HIPAA uh, regulations prevent you from sharing anything about your health. <laughs>
0: exactly. Albums. Thank you, HIPAA. Thank you, President Trump. I'm just glad. I, you know, I really feel like, in terms of the U.S., at least, We, you know, the silver lining, it's more than a silver lining at this point. You're seeing, you're seeing how, how great a job, uh, president Trump did with his approach as opposed
3: to Europe, who, who things aren't looking the best over there, but now they look terrible. I actually read a thing about India that looks absolutely catastrophic, like really, folks, it's a tough, (laughs) really bad. I mean, so, you know, look, we're, we're breaking out of that. It doesn't mean that you can't have some side effects to the second shot. Everybody should get it. And if this is a day long, God, is it worth it? But, man, it's uh, – You know what I've –
0: the interesting thing is I've heard about the second Moderna shot is that the the younger and healthier you are, the more you feel, you know, like body aches and stuff because you have, like, a great immune system that's just, like, going ham. Like, let's roll. I'm going to take it. But me, I'm like, listen (laughs) (laughs) – I bet mean, Moderna would be so chill you know, with me. you would be like, yeah, dude. Immune system rolls up and it's like, we could just grab a drink. There's plenty on
3: the way. Yeah. No, no Moderna gets infected with you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, there are a bunch of bad news this week and a bunch of good news this week. We want to cover a little bit of everything. But uh, I think that the a best place to start is on something that we covered a couple of weeks ago with WinRed. when. We got a precursor from the fake news media about uh, all the attacks on WinRed and that they were trying to undermine the credibility of it. Ultimately, they reported today that they raised a absolute record $124 million of donations to Republican candidates and committee in the first quarter.
0: That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. It's When we discuss like how we want that culture on our side, that the left developed of like, if you're mad... Don't just be mad. They they hit that. They hit the act blue button. Now we have the win red button. Let's go. Because at the end of the day, like I said, pointing out hypocrisy to the left won't get it done. We got to win seats. Well, you've got the media that has a pretty
4: orchestrated campaign to try to stop, um, you know, companies and PACs from donating to Republicans. Yeah. Okay, fine. We have a grassroots army ready to go to win red to donate. And here's the thing, guys. That's how we should want it. Right, right. It makes our politics better to have grassroots conservatives from across the country chipping in to these
0: campaigns. Yeah, I'm totally surprised. I don't know why the media would attack a a, a, a company that helps Republicans do grassroots fundraising. Shock. well, you
4: know, I mean, we talked about it before. Remember, they were attacking server companies for hosting parlor. They're trying yeah. to get people kicked out of the Apple App Store, all sorts of things. They will de-platform conservatives any way that they can. And it's the same reason they attacked WinRed. And if you remember, you know, the the, the our core attack was that WinRed has a recurring feature on their uh, pages that allows you to chip in monthly. And the reason why that's really important for Republican campaigns is it allows them to plan ahead and to know what sort of revenue that they're going to have for the campaign. The media and the Democrats don't want you to own a part of these campaigns. They don't want us to be grassroots funded
0: because they want to be able to attack us.
3: That's right. That's 100 so percent.
0: Right. Huge congrats to win red. And, you know, good job to the grassroots. We got to keep this enthusiasm rolling. What,
4: one last thing I want to say on this, I, I would encourage anybody who listens to the program that if you could do me a favor and, and just go to win red. Now, this isn't an ad, by the way, I'm just saying this because it's what I do for a living, but go to win red now and just find, you know, one candidate, two candidates, three candidates, you know, that you support that are up this cycle and go and donate to them right now. And if you That's can, if you can, If you can afford it, if you can afford five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month, give it to them on recurring, you know, because it helps these campaigns right now get ready for next year. And that early money is critical. That early grassroots money really, really does make a difference for these campaigns. That's it. I'm off my soapbox.
3: No, it looks, I appreciate it because we got to beat back the dumbassery in the White House and in Congress at every possible turn. And speaking of dumbassery, the thing that popped up that really caught my eye this week that I thought oh, was yeah. so funny was the White House is exploring whether to make tobacco companies reduce nicotine levels in cigarettes, making them so low that cigarettes wouldn't be addictive.
0: <laughs> this is so dumb, man. This is, I. I mean... like I saw this and I I genuinely, I I took a deep sigh. So as, as a former smoker, uh, let me tell you, this is the exact opposite approach you want to take. It's like, okay, so now I got to smoke more. (laughs) That's the message is like, okay, you got to smoke more folks. This isn't about, you know, typically these syntaxes think that they can like uh, uh, alter behavior or, or whatever. You're, this isn't going to cause anyone who, who's a smoker to uh, be like, oh, I'm going to evaluate my, my health decisions. No, you're going to make people have to go back. It, you know, y- you see this uh, with like crack dealers. They will cut their supply in half so they can make more money and people will still buy that shit. The yeah. same way that you're thinking less nicotine. Uh, yeah, you're just going to get people to smoke more cigarettes. Good job. Yeah.
3: Well, look, I mean, I've kind of looked into a lot of this stuff. We, I worked in a state that was a tobacco state for a long time, and so paid kind of close attention to the policy. I mean, the reality is, is the amount of smokers in this country is going down every single year, right? Yeah, and and yeah. the people who start, with the exception of, the, of this vaping craze in the last couple of years, the people who've actually start smoking is also con- continuing to, to go down. So you don't need – I mean, the social – reality itself is curbing cigarette smoking. If you take nicotine out of cigarettes, the only thing you're going to do is force a smoker to basically suck on the back of an exhaust pipe for the next, you know, however long they live. I mean, that's basically it.
0: Also, I just want to say, you know, my this view does not represent anyone or my employer, anyone for that matter, but cigarettes are so cool. Like just (laughs) when you're smoking a cigarette, I mean, that's why like, you know, the cool guy in the movie or like, you know, the awesome, awesome lady in the movie. They have a cigarette. Humphrey Bogart, like all all the like Clint Eastwood, like all the really cool people smoke. All the cool people smoke. And like when you're smoking, like if you're just like outside the bar smoking, people walk by you like, whoa, this guy's kind (laughs) of (laughs) cool. This is your first thought. When you see someone smoking, like this guy's kind of cool.
3: Such a hot (laughs) take. I want to tell
0: know. you, man. I miss those. I miss, you know. That's the one thing, folks. Like, you know, everyone who's an adult, children don't smoke. But if you're an adult, you make the decision, whatever. Man, well, I of those Parliament lights. They hit so <laughs> nicely. You'll, you'll never, that, even after you quit, you'll miss them, folks.
3: It's like it was not intended to be an endorsement for smoking. <laughs> Absolutely uh, not an endorsement whatsoever. I'm sort of sorry I brought it up, but it, <laughs> but it is entertaining. So give <laughs> we'll it that. Listen, I was trying to keep it classy on the program today because we have a very classy guest, Senator Mike Lee of Utah. Huge. He was, I mean, one of the world's nicest guys. He's also polite. Everything you don't find in Washington, right? He's he's just like a world-class guy. And so I was trying to class up the joint a little bit. And here we are in the first <laughs> yeah. talk, endorsing smoking. <laughs> sorry, Senator Lee. I'm sorry. But he's gonna he's going to join us. He has some rabid hot takes like great stuff on major league baseball, which we've been talking about on the program, uh, Supreme court. Yeah. I heard he had a great take for the Supreme court. He did. He did. You'll have to wait folks. You'll have to wait for that interview. You're involved in the take. You're involved in the take. Excellent take. Yeah. Yeah. But he, but he also gives us just a ton of great stuff. He's a good guy. So look forward to that. But we also have to t- tackle the topic of the week, which in my view is just so depressing in every possible way that I don't quite know exactly how to get into it. But obviously the the verdict with Derek Chauvin being guilty on all counts, I, I haven't talked to anybody that I know that doesn't agree with the verdict. I think that the the case for those of us who watched it, I mean, the man was guilty. And the justice system worked. But of course, immediately, that is jumped on by the woke left, because you can't actually concede that justice was served in this case. And I know, Duncan, I know you have some thoughts, because you've been following this all week.
4: Yeah, I mean, I would say, number one, the takes last night on Twitter were just terrible. <laughs> I mean, absolutely terrible. You had Nancy Pelosi with her press conference as 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 Smug mentioned, you know, basically thanking George Floyd for dying. Unbelievable. Um, you had the Raiders brand account <laughs> tweeting out an image that says, I can breathe. Um it's just had, so
3: bad. Like you can't even you can't even make up how bad it is.
4: You you yeah, the that mayor, Jacob Fry from Minneapolis saying that. Quote, George Floyd came to Minneapolis to better his life, but ultimately his life will have bettered our city.
3: <laughs> I mean, just think about how out of touch these guys are. I mean, that's right? the thing is, is it, it, it's, it's absolutely shameful
0: because they didn't, they didn't consider this a case about a guy losing his life. They, it's like, they didn't even consider him a person. They considered him like a, a like a, like a, co- like a press conference. That's all he meant to them to be like thank you for dying. It's a political So r- I can make the statement. That's like this is a human being. Like that's a, like beyond ridiculous. It's unreal someone could even think that. Well, I think
4: ult- I think ultimately here um you know Derek Chauvin being found guilty on all counts sort of complicated things for the left. It's it's kind of a problem because you know key to their narrative is that America is irredeemably and insist- you know systemically racist. Yeah. Um, Which is why you saw people like AOC last night saying, quote, this isn't justice. Right. And, you know, she also said, I don't want this to be framed as the system working because the justice system can't work in order for them to advance their liberal political project. They need to stoke perpetual racial outrage in this country. I mean, look at the Georgia election law. That's Jim Crow. The filibuster, that's Jim Crow too. If you say that the justice system worked, then the rest of your claims don't hold sway anymore, right? That's right. And so, you know, this sort of has them a little bit off, off kilter, I think, with their talking points, unfortunately, you know, in a terrible situation.
3: Yeah, well, and it's it's even actually darker and, and worse than that because you have, you know, many in the media and in the sort of woke left activist community attempting to create another George Floyd situation. Right. And there was this horrible incident in Columbus with a young girl who was shot. And in the first couple hours uh, of the story about how she was shot by a police officer, it was all about her age. Um, and, you know, that this was another sort of unarmed uh, person who was shot by police well, it turns out she was she was she was stabbing someone she was attempting to stab another young girl and that was completely omitted from the coverage. And in fact, didn't you say, Duncan, did you say that Twitter in their in their sort of what's trending uh, thing has this this entire workup about this?
4: right yeah, you know Twitter will will curate these these topics. you've probably seen these on the platform before where ostensibly they're, they're supposed to be sharing sort of the top line, what you need to know about an issue here. But what they've done in their coverage of this you know police shooting is basically report everything but the fact that the woman who was shot was wielding a knife and trying to stab someone. They omitted that. Right. So, so you've got 200, 300 words on here stoking outrage Maximizing engagement on their platform, but devoid of the simple fact that was caught on body cam footage. And it's like, I guess ultimately what makes me so sad about, about all of this coverage is that our media and social media both just strip all nuance and remove inconvenient facts to stoke division.
3: Yeah, it's, it's only to try to tear the fabric further apart. In
4: fact, they're incentivized to do so. They Absolutely. make more money, more clicks are generated. And it's just like, I don't know how we tackle this as a society. I think, you know, the vast, vast majority of people are good, you know, and we should be able to talk about these difficult things without our media lying to us constantly to put us at each other's
3: throats. Absolutely. And and causing resentment. and And, you know, you find fair-minded people immediately jumping to conclusions as a yeah. result.
0: I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, initially you think oh it's just like uh people didn't have all the facts they didn't know what's going on because the story is always developing and then uh what what really struck me is like even once you know the video was out and and you could see what had happened what had transpired you still got these wild takes where 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 you had you, you know you're you're Blue checks out there saying, "Well, folks, you gotta just let kids have knife fights. Everyone had knife fights when they were growing up, right?" No, <laughs> yeah,
4: oh. absurd. Just I mean,
0: absurd. fist
3: fights, yeah, totally. No, knife, I mean, no, <laughs> yeah. The implication is that you just ought to let them go at it, you know. And I think the worst, actually, most irresponsible thing I've seen yet was from LeBron James. Mm. He tweets
0: unbelievable.
3: Out, tweets out a picture of the police officer who's allegedly involved in this unfortunate. Situation in Columbus with the text, You're next, and an hourglass and hashtag accountability. I mean, he's got what does he have? He's got millions and millions and millions of of followers, right? I mean, the level of irresponsibility in doing something like that before you have the facts and devoid of the facts that you actually know already. I mean, your goal is to try to be divisive. Your goal is to try to tear the social fabric apart. Like, I don't know. Do I have to remind everybody? We've been in a pandemic. People are a little nuts, right? We are not ourselves as a society. We're still, we've are still. we got a lot of work to do yep. to bring people back out of their silos, start hanging out with their neighbors again. For crying out loud, we haven't been able to socialize really, you know? And, and now you've got people who are working to try to further divide. I mean, there was this, if before this situation in Columbus, there was one in Chicago, this Adam Toledo or whatever, where where their body cam footage showed, you know, an officer chasing him into an alley and he turned around and shots were fired, and turns out he had a gun on him. But like all of the coverage at the beginning was about how yet another unarmed young African American was killed in the city. And and it turns out, like a day and a half later, you find out. I mean, first of all, the kid's nickname is Little Homicide, you know? And I'm not saying that, like, what happened to him isn't tragic. It's tragic. It's All of these are tragic. But if you cover these things in a certain way and you seek to exploit them in a way that makes people angry, it makes people want to take to the streets, you're doing a bigger disservice than anyone. You know, it's just, it's real, it's really... I wish there was a way we could figure out how to get our hands around it and have logical, serious, significant conversations about it because there's no question that there are police reform discussions that make sense, right? Tim Scott tried to have one. That's the
0: thing is everyone needs to remember this fact. Tim Scott introduced a police reform bill, and it was filibustered by the Dems. So when they when they say, why, why can't we have a bipartisan solution – they killed tim scott's police reform bill with a filibuster and now they're saying the filibuster is jim crow 2.0 and republicans refuse to join them on police reform it's like the, and the media will run with it so you need to remember that this is a political thing that's going on before your eyes and the media is 100% helping out
4: yeah i mean you're absolutely right smug and it's the reason why you've got you know liberals on twitter saying oh, yeah, knife fights are normal, you know, because they can't just admit what their eyes have seen. Because if they do that, then they lose that perpetual racial outrage that they require to fulfill the rest of their political agenda, right? Like for them to pass HR1 and blow up the filibuster and do all the stuff that they want to do. They have to use racial resentment on the entire system in order to get that stuff accomplished. And to your point, Holmes, like, I mean how do we solve for this? How do we deal in, in in facts? Like I don't know how it's possible. I don't know how it's possible in the current media environment, a 24, you know, 24 hours a day constant news coverage and social media that's always on where people are incentivized to be first and not right.
0: Yep. Yeah. And that is so it goes beyond just like individuals That can fall prey to to the to the media narrative that's just created because they want their clicks. They don't, you know, at this point it's pretty clear they don't care what happened. They know which narrative they need for their clicks. But it's not just individuals. You saw so many of these corporations try to jump in on this with with Georgia, and some are like backpedaling now because they're like, "Wait a minute, well, this wasn't what I was told. It is." And uh. Now, you know, I don't want to lose customers over this. I think it's, number one, it's too late. Uh, So a poll came out from Marist, which said, do you support or oppose American companies using their public role, position, or events to influence political, cultural, or social change? 57% oppose. (laughs) Only 36% support. Whoops. Yep. Whoops. Yeah. So just like falling into this trap... Which, which the media just completely, you know, lays bare of like we're here for clicks. We don't care about the truth. Like on, on CNN, you know, when that, when that, uh, uh, when that kid with the knife uh, had yeah. been killed, they said, "Oh my gosh, she she was just completely murdered." And Jake Tapper didn't push back at all. The media has no incentive not to just go for the rage clicks and the rage ratings.
3: It's really, I mean, look going to try that's why we're going to try on ruthless to have serious conversations about it i mean <laughs> as a conservative it's it's difficult because there is a, an entire industrial complex in politics that is created just to listen to shows like this and to convince everyone that we have some racial animosity right, right so it takes now. some courage to try to take this stuff on but we're going to continue to do it you know i thought that the conversation we had with burgess owens was sort of a precursor to what you saw lay out two weeks later in a Senate committee that, you know, you heard it here first, right. And his view of what Jim Crow law actually looks like from somebody who lived through it. And right. like, that's the kind of content that we're going to continue to provide here because it's, this is too important to ignore. We get, we love to have fun, but we can't just ignore this stuff entirely because it's really having an impact. And it's, it's, it's super unfortunate.
0: I want to, so I want to pivot here to something a bit lighter, but also because I wanted to try and troll Duncan for a little bit. Oh, here we go. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, let me give some background on the topic. There's something called Super League, folks. If you're like me and know soccer is not a real sport, you're like, "What it's is not, Super League?" It's not. It's, it's, it's a not rest. a sport. It's not Uh-oh. a sport. No. So, uh, a group of 12 clubs from across Europe's biggest leagues announced plans to form a new competition. Called the Super League, the league had plans to offer permanent spots to some of the world's biggest clubs and play matches midweek, while allowing the clubs to uh, the involved clubs to remain in their domestic competitions. Um, this all—all all you need to know is this is some soccer stuff, and I thought from the beginning, you know, it involves soccer, it will probably fail, and I was right. It okay,
4: failed. all right, okay, I gotta step in and correct the record here because clearly. Smug and Holmes, uh, hate <laughs> soccer, and so they're purposely misleading you. I mean, well, basically, what happened was—don't go some, into the D. It's gonna bore
0: the hell out of you. It's, no, it. No, soccer gonna, is so boring. Look, it's so boring.
4: It's just some of the top teams from Italy and and the UK and Spain, um, you know, want to create this Super League basically to appeal to fans outside of Europe. Right. And so, but their domestic leagues sort of freaked out. I mean, as they would, I mean, like, what if the, you know, Patriots and Tampa Bay and the chiefs all decided they were going to leave the NFL. Right. I mean, I mean,
3: but they wouldn't do that because um, it's America also NFL is a, football is a real sport. That's right. That's a good point. Smug. Thank you for, for airing that soccer is a, is a hobby for weirdos. Well, it's also, it's also a nice like vocation, like little thing for six and eight year olds, you know, Yeah,
0: you know, the little kids, they want to yeah. run around the yard, kick the
3: ball. All right. My three-year-old loves it. I mean yeah. okay. Well, it.
4: all I'm gonna say is is that no one gets CTE from soccer. Okay. Exactly. Not <laughs> a real sport. So that it's not a real sport. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I mean, soccer combines athleticism, endurance,
0: speed, acceleration, size. I, I mean all those are factors soccer- in, in CTE. That's why NFL is the greatest. You have these like enormous people running at like insane speeds. I love hitting I, each other. Look, I love football. I love football.
4: I just think you're just unnecessarily dogging soccer because the rest of the world loves this
3: it. This is your most un-American take in my opinion. It is. I think it is an American.
4: I think it's a great sport. I think for it's a child, great sport. for children. It for it children. combines it combines all of those athletic attributes with I mean hand eye coordination, foot Footwork, I, mean, I, there's just no. I mean, gonna tell person. you, folks. Sometimes
0: <laughs> it's a, it's a zero-zero match, and you know it was a great game. Good look, look, I, I,
4: I will acknowledge that, dude. I mean, you, you, obviously NFL football is more exciting than soccer.
3: Okay, well, maybe I can get you to concede another point. What, what's up with the like flopping like a crappie every time? Guy, okay. Okay. Right? Well,
4: look, 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 look. Fair. Totally, totally fair. The only thing I would say to people who haven't played soccer is like. You know, and you know the NBA when they drive to the lane and there's a foul called, right? Imagine you were doing that at top speed, at top speed and dribbling a ball with your feet. I mean, if you get jostled <laughs> or somebody touches your foot, you are going to fall. You are going top speed. You are in a full dead. It's just out like sprint. top speed
0: dribbling. I can't help but hear that like circus music in my head. That like da, 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 da. It's, just, it's
3: like a, Hey, the athleticism. You're just like I just heard jostled, which I thought was a particularly <laughs> apt term for soccer.
4: I grew up playing soccer. You know, I started playing yeah. uh, when I was six.
3: Now the truth comes out. Yes. Yeah, so, hey, what's the other sport that you played besides soccer?
4: Lacrosse and football and wrestling.
3: Okay. Well, lacrosse, dude.
0: Yeah. I respect that. Lax bros. Shout out
3: to
4: Lax
0: bros. I was trying
3: to get the soft. Are you trying up. to say I'm soft? Are you saying I'm soft, Holmes? No, no. I'm not trying to say you're, well, I'm not trying to say you're soft. This is a soft take for sure. Wrestling, I, I just appreciate your commitment to the singlet, which is, you know, look, it's a tough sport, but the singlet I mean, anytime
4: you want to go pal <laughs>
3: guy looks great <laughs> i looks great in singlet.
4: I, honestly I mean wrestling is a great sport for one reason is like it does teach you a lot of discipline growing up Um,
0: yeah all my friends who are in wrestling I mean it was it, to me I mean they enjoy it to me it just sounded like misery it was misery honestly it They're was like, I have misery. to cut weight so I can fight someone yeah, so you I, cut, that's not that didn't sound I mean good for them and, you know, no one can say wrestling. So honestly, that didn't sound fun as, I at, mean, at all.
4: As, as as the program, you guys should appreciate wrestling because it is it is a quintessential agony, agony of defeat sport. It's like totally. you, you kill yourself week in and week out. You cut weight because you're going to be under the lights and it's just you and some other guy. And you just, you are scared to death that you'll lose.
3: You know what? I Listen, I have some begrudging respect. I would love it. If we could eliminate the singlet, (laughs) the singlet, uh, I can't get over it.
4: Okay. Well, look, dude, it's the, it's the world's oldest sport. Okay. People used to do it naked. So maybe that's an improvement.
0: Yeah. The (laughs) Greeks, the Greeks wrestled
4: naked,
3: dude.
0: see. Look, so, so we're talking about, we're talking about soccer when there are actual sports in the world.
3: The wonder rum right. felt.
0: That, So that was that was my segment. It was essentially just like a free shot trying to cyber. Everyone bully. just Duncan. Wants to, this.
4: This segment was titled uh, in in the production meeting. Let cyber bully. Let dunk cyber dunk. bully Duncan. It's
0: fine. I hope somebody defends me on Twitter tomorrow. I'm glad that America repelled this latest attack from Europe and we defeated the Super League. So Yeah, we'll let you know.
3: At some point, America will get interested in this and we'll take it over. But, you know, for the time being, we can allow the Italians and, and the Spanish yeah. and everybody I, else to do that Have back. fun. Have fun yeah. with that. Enjoy. enjoy. And Duncan will be there watching, so it'll be perfect. Great. We got a game show, guys. Yeah. Now, speaking
0: of a real sport, Yeah. One, you know, a, a fan favorite, folks, we got King of the Hill
3: absolutely let's let's do it huh holmes who do you have this week well i've got the defending champion my friend bill crystal he's not going anywhere he's been he's been there since february let's go and you know he is
0: he is a fierce competitor uh last time i tried with jen rubin the brainworm queen you know met defeat at the hands of bill crystal so i'm going to go with another perennial favorite folks i'm going i'm going with matthew dad wow
3: she can't so here I think this is an interesting selection for a variety of reasons. I no question that Ruben has a higher upside on a week to week basis, but she can't get it done against Crystal. She's try, tried twice. It's shocking. Twice. It's really shocking. It's wow. wild how
0: King of the Hill rolls. I mean, yeah. you know, it it's yeah. it's, it's monoe mono, head to head. Yeah. It, it could be the greatest sport.
3: Let's uh let's get on with this.
2: All right, let's
4: head down ringside.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. It's time for King of the Hill and tonight's rematch of champions. In the red corner, Hiding out of his own Twitter account. A former champion standing five feet nine inches tall. Matthew Mel patterned out. And now, in the blue corner. Hiding out of a cruise ship in the Persian Gulf. Standing five feet, four inches tall. And current champion of the world. A meal or time. Crystal.
4: Oh, fantastic. What a treat. It's just so good. I love the Jimmy Lennon Jr.
3: (laughs) Uh, Okay. So. If I recall, I start.
4: You start first because you are the defending champion. And for our listeners, again, if you're a new listener and you haven't played this game before, Holmes gets three tweets. Smug gets three tweets. I serve as judge and juror. <laughs> and the winner of the best, best, you know, two out of three is the winner of King of the Hill.
3: <laughs> okay. Bill Crystal, April 16th, 10, 15 p.m. So, you know, he's into the sauce by now. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly.
4: Our lawyers will thank you.
3: Okay. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is the piano player in the House Republican brothel. (laughs) Dude, the guy's so strong.
0: (laughs) I mean, my takeaway is like K-Mac rules, honestly.
2: Awesome. (laughs) I mean, it's just hot.
4: I love
0: the imagery. <laughs> so this is this is Matthew Dowd, April 20th, and he was probably into something else. Matthew Dowd, if folks are worried about protests and problems in aftermath of a chauvin verdict, maybe city county state leaders should go ahead and pass reforms of policing now and fundamentally restructure police forces so they reflect the values of humanity and justice. Honestly, If people are worried about protests, why don't you just do what the mob says? Like, you don't have to be worried about riots if you just give what the rioters want. Right, guys? Great take.
3: It's a pretty good take. The the idea that a a rioting group of people are going to be satisfied by legislation.
0: (laughs) It's like, folks, I've been listening to the rioters. I think if we meet their demands, the riots will end.
3: Here's my four-point plan to stop the riot.
0: Yeah. Step one, do what the riots want.
3: <laughs> okay. All right.
0: You know, I I
4: think what smug is highlighted here is when you're the challenger, getting to go second huge is huge. You get to yeah. go second twice in round one and round three.
1: Yeah.
4: And and so, you know, what he was able to do is really throw a hot fire take in round one. And the judge and jury has decided he has one.
0: Let's go. Ooh. i know i needed that i know i needed that because here's the thing folks i've gotten an experience when holmes and Crystal's a deadly combination you mm. know he knows he knows Crystal's strengths and weaknesses he plays those cards well i think i've lost like two in a row to Holmes, so I, i'm not taking any risks this time folks i, I think it's like three or four crystal <laughs> yeah. has been, been going five, non-stop dude with crystal
3: absolute king of the hill but okay i was really count really counting on the brothel getting me there but okay i'll shuffle a deck <clears throat> bill crystal ten forty one p.m again way into the sauce allegedly april 16th straight forward from here one castro quits two We offer Cuba sanctions, relief, and investment contingent on political and economic liberty for the Cuban people. Three, free and fair elections are held. Four, a free and democratic Cuba applies for U.S. statehood. Five, El Estado de Cuba. (laughs)
0: Smug. Smug, just Just throw the round. This is a throwaway. This is a throwaway. I mean, this is a wild take, but that's just like... I mean, who would have, who was shocked that Crystal's like, let's just, let's just take over a country and demand they join America. Like the <laughs> yes, reason it hits so state. hard is this comes from the soul. It's like in his bones. As he
3: state, as a state. like not, wants
0: it so bad. He <laughs> like reads, he reads like <laughs> one
4: article about Cuba and immediately the guy, he's the like, Folks, this, that he is, is just like, like, Bay of Pigs, round two, let's go. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Greeted his liberators.
0: It's the one thing he won't change. It's incredible.
4: I got to apologize to the listeners. The judge and jury sort of violated. uh, It's dude.
0: Dude, that's a that's a fire take. That's a fire take. I mean, this is normally the one I'm going to drop from Dowd would be would be wild, you know, so like it's kind of like after after in between tasting bourbons or whatever, you like, you know, you you smell some of the coffee beans, you get a sip of water. Yeah, because on its own, this is this is a brainworm take. Matthew Dowd. April sixteenth, the president should leave the White House flag at half staff until the Senate passes gun reform.
3: Oh, dude, I I love that take, and you're right. On yeah. I mean, day, any
0: other day,
2: dude,
3: that is such an awesome take. It's go it, like I haven't talked about this on the program, but my I've had, had a secret take on this is that like in Democratic government, you just leave the freaking little flag at half staff.
0: Just leave it there. It's right. it's this thing, dude. I'm surprised.
4: I I mean smug, I'm surprised that was your throwaway. Honestly, it's pretty good. Yeah. I love it because it's sort of like your classic Dowd take and that is like theatrical and performative. You know, it's like somebody just he binged West Wing last night. Totally. Like, yeah, I'm gonna tweet this. Yeah. But I mean, like, look—it obviously goes to Holmes. <laughs> Just an incredible take. I, I you know what I kind of like about this is—is is Holmes
0: kind of ropeadope to you. He was like, "Ah, oh, man, I lost mm-hmm. round right? one. Yeah, you know, he has a, he has an ace I, I really seat. didn't expect that. I did not expect that.
3: Oh. Well, I had, I had to bring. I, there's no way I could have risked not going to round three, so I had to bring the thunder. Yeah. That was originally going to be my closer. But there are so many tactics it. involved in King of the Hill folks. Yeah. That was originally going to be my closer. Cause I thought that was a walk-off. Yeah. You know? Okay. So now I go back. I I'm going go first. first. Yeah. All right. 8 20 AM. This is, this is a morning uh, situation. So a little different perspective. As I said to Brian Williams on 11th hour last night, which by the way, I mean, let me just pause there. This is what this guy does now. It goes on the 11 o'clock show on, on MSNBC. This
2: is sad.
3: Boy, the mighty have fallen. As I said to Brian Williams on 11th hour last night, the 2024 GOP nomination fight between Donald Trump and Liz Cheney is going to be lit. Wow. (laughs) I mean, it's like, that's just like the best, the left wet dream, right? Is like, how do you tie the Republican Party in absolute knots refighting 2020 rather than 2024? It's just, it's a it's a perfect and the, what I love about it with Crystal is that for the entirety of his professional career, he's never gotten anything in politics right.
0: The entire wow. Yeah. He's
3: been wrong about everything in politics that he's ever talked about. The guy's the worst campaign predictor or uh, that I've ever seen in my life. And, like, this is a perfect fit for that.
0: I got a nuke. I got a nuke, man. I saved it. Matthew Dowd. Fact. The greatest danger to American citizens is not radical Muslim terrorists. It is domestic white supremacist terrorists. This is a far graver danger of anything that we have faced since Pearl Harbor. So... I don't. Oh, we're talking about like 9/11, COVID, like you name it. We have not had a problem close
3: the Cuban missile crisis. This. Yeah,
0: I mean, listen, we're only going to get nuked, but that is nothing in Dowd's mind. Oh my god.
4: <laughs> All um, right. Well, I I I got This guy about... used to do this for a living. <laughs>
0: He used to pay him for his opinions on Who politics. Used to pay him for that. Poor Schwarzenegger even
2: did. <laughs> oh, oh uh,
4: he got more than the than the contract on that one,
2: though. Am I right, folks? Hey, uh,
4: I mean, look here. So you, you got you got Bill Crystal. Um, I I like this tweet because it is it's real it's cat it's liberal catnip right it's like it's sort of this wish casting take of like oh wouldn't that be amazing you know sort of thing it's it's of course totally divorced from reality and but it, he and believes he, it that's the he thing believes, he, he believes it he believes it he, right right but if you've learned anything from working professionally in politics is that you know three years out you you have no idea what we're going to be talking about but he's already set the table he knows okay, where all the chess pieces sure. go you know, which is incredible. And and, and and to your point, it the exact opposite will then happen because he's the worst predictor of anything. <clears throat> that doubt take, mm. it's it just can't be ignored. <laughs> it's
0: literally nuclear. The guy's like, nuclear. human missile crisis, no you, big it, deal, if, bro. It,
4: if you would have ended it before Pearl Harbor, I, I, I could have fought this to a draw. Yeah. But Pearl Harbor, I mean... Doud the guy wins. gave us Doud. like 70 years of history. Dowd doubt <laughs> wins. Dowd has dethroned Bill Crystal.
3: I you know what? I accept, I concede the idea that today white supremacists are more dangerous than the days of the open Ku Klux Klan in community yeah. across this country is absolutely freaking nuts. and, and he, he's saying since
0: since Pearl Harbor man. Since Pearl Harbor, <laughs> right. post, post Pearl Harbor, we had the Nazis, man, when they had, when that V2s <laughs> and then the Cold War, like all of that. No big deal, bro. No, no big deal. No. 100%. And it was, it was toe to toe. It was a fight to the finish. I concede. That was a great, very, very great, well served.
4: great,
3: great king of the hill. It always is. You're back on top, my friend, and it's been it's been a long time. So I salute you for your effort. Dowd got it done. Let's go. He did. All right. Let's get to a big interview. Senator Mike Lee. Let's get right to it. I want to welcome to the program uh, someone we're a huge fan of, uh, Republican Senator from Utah, Senator Mike
1: Lee. Senator, welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be with you, Josh.
3: You know, you are con- one of the more consistent conservatives that we have in all of Congress, and we really appreciate that throughout you've been making some interesting moves lately that I want to talk to you about. Uh, one of them feels kind of personal to me and a lot of listeners of the program with major league baseball. I'm a big baseball fan and I know a lot of our listeners are are big baseball fans and what Rob Manfred did in moving the all-star game out of Georgia for purely political reasons, just sort of broke a lot of us. Uh, it sort of woke us (laughs) to the woke corporate culture. And, uh, And then I see, you know, a couple of days later, you introduce a very serious piece of legislation that would revoke the antitrust exemption that they've enjoyed, I think, dating back to the 20s or
1: something like that. Um, Can you help explain that a little bit to us? Yeah, Yeah, sure. You know, consumers as a whole um, benefit when businesses compete. Uh, Competition tends to increase quality and tends to bring down prices, and baseball is no different in this regard. In fact, a professional sports league uh, should be able to appreciate, perhaps better than most businesses, all the benefits of competition, because they're all about competition and increasing the quality of the sport and the entertainment value of the sport when competition is better. But instead of appreciating the value of competition, Major League Baseball has sort of gone the opposite direction and has abused its judicially fabricated antitrust immunity uh, to, to suppress wages and to divide up markets for decades. In, in fact, since 1922, uh, uh, when the Supreme Court of the United States decided a case called Federal Club versus National League. Um, and they've been using that to engage in conduct that's plainly illegal and sometimes criminal in any other industry. But they've gotten away with this because Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. Uh, and the majority of uh, the Supreme Court at the time back in 1922 just decided to make it that way. They, they didn't ha- have any basis in text to do it. They just decided that it would be. And um, so look, Josh, we should have done this decades ago. Yeah. But when a billion-dollar uh, uh, business or a multi, multi-billion-dollar uh, business starts engaging in a form of political extortion, it becomes even more pressing. That's right. Get rid of their special treatment. That's right. I mean, this comes up every
3: so often. I remember in the early 2000s, uh, I had first gotten to the Hill, and they were talking about contracting teams in Major League Baseball, and about half the country went absolutely wild because they're moving in a lot of rural markets, essentially. And, uh, and this came up, and it was, it was very seriously debated, but I don't know that it's been this seriously debated since then. It seems to me like you could have some support for that point of view.
1: Yeah, uh, we're gaining some support, um, especially as people stop and ask the question, wait, they're exempt? They're exempt from antitrust? Why? Uh, One of the things that brought this to mind is, um, as you noted, when they ended their contract with Atlanta and decided to move it somewhere else, I thought that is really strange. And that is the behavior of a company that Operates without competition. O- only somebody without competition would do that because it's such a brazen act that really doesn't make much sense. Yeah,
3: that was my first reaction too. It's just absolutely arrogant, right? If you had absolutely nothing to lose,
1: you would you would make a decision like that. <laughs> uh, by the way, Josh, just as a baseball fan, what well, I, I I would throw out the fact that. Um, Something about this seemed odd to begin with. I wonder if Major League Baseball already had some reason, some other reason why it wanted to move the All-Star game to Colorado. It doesn't make any sense if you're going to move it out of Atlanta, ostensibly in response to this uh, election integrity law passed by the Georgia legislature. Why would you move it to Colorado? I mean, Colorado has election laws that in many ways are as restrictive as, if not more restrictive than that of Georgia. Maybe they always wanted to move it there to begin with, and this was just a pretext. I don't know.
3: You know, it's interesting because they were very quick on the draw. You're right. I mean, they were the leading edge of, of companies that were taking sort of forceful action on that. There were a couple of others, but they, they were certainly way out front, and they moved it right away. And like you said, Colorado, very stringent voter ID laws, which, I, you know, you can't tell because Manfred's statement of what he opposed in Georgia didn't, didn't illustrate anything, right? He didn't say
1: a single thing that he actually objected to right and look the american people want to have their elections matter uh they they understand that we want to make it easier to vote and we make want to make it harder to cheat there's nothing about easy to vote uh, hard to cheat that anyone can object to meaningfully and yet they've managed to try to spin this into something else and it's really quite shameful the american people realize the fact that, look, you've got to show a photo ID when you get on an airplane, which makes it doubly ironic that Delta Airlines was part of the crew jumping on this crazy bandwagon. With Delta Airlines, I mean, even before you get to TSA, if you want to check a bag, you've got to show up and prove who you are with a photo ID. Anyone who has flown Delta Airlines knows that to be the case. And yet showing an ID to vote is somehow wrong. I don't get that especially when you consider the fact that everyone is disenfranchised when you allow people to vote who are not supposed to.
3: And and, and nobody nobody in the corporate space will pull out the voter ID. That's the activist space, right? Everybody in the activist space says, well, voter ID is the real problem because they can't make an argument against vote by mail. It was actually expanded. They can't make an argument about early vote. It was actually expanded under the Georgia law. So it's really kind of about voter ID, but none of the companies want to talk about that, right? Because they all require voter ID.
1: Right. That's why they, they won't talk about it, even though it's probably the lifeblood that's animating all of this um, angst uh, among activists. Is yeah. They don't want that. And, you know, they're somehow managing, many in the activist community are also messaging um, that we have to do this. And they're trying to message the Republican Party as somehow being against voting rights and against the Voting Rights Act, which doesn't make any sense because the opposite is true. Um, But they're managing to make it that way. They're mad that a state like Georgia can pass a law without uh, a law that, improves election security and integrity without going through the preclearance process in Washington, D.C. Years ago, that would have been the case before the Supreme Court intervened and said that there were aspects of the uh, uh, Voting Rights Act, the application of Section 5 uh, over time had become unconstitutional in its application. They're angry that the Supreme Court reached that conclusion. And uh, uh, they they understand that this law passed in Georgia would have had to be precleared by the now Biden Justice Department that probably would have, uh, wouldn't have been pre-cleared. And so they're mad about it and they're using every tool at their disposal to try to denigrate it.
3: Yeah, that's a great breakdown. That's exactly right. I'm I'm wondering if taking a step back just at what we're seeing across corporate America, how concerned you are um, at watching the power that the left has exerted here over the last few months, it's really gone on longer than that. But, but certainly during the Biden administration, to try to economically pressure communities to basically support the democratic agenda. I mean, this isn't, this isn't really about sort of an ideological discussion or, or something that fits people's business model better one way or another. I mean, you, you, you expect people to advocate and lobby on behalf of policies that would improve their company, right? But that's not what's happening here. And they're going far outside that to try to basically enact a democratic agenda.
1: Right, which begs the question, why? Especially when you consider that um, a lot of the big businesses doing this, they're big uh, because and in the sense that they operate nationwide. And if you look nationwide, um, at any given time, you run the risk if you alienate one political party or the other among your customers. you run the risk of alienating about half of them if you take a political side. So that's why this doesn't make sense. And it's one of the reasons why you tend to see it more among those businesses that lack meaningful competition. In the case of major league baseball, it's because of their antitrust exemption. Hmm. In the case of Delta airlines, uh, perhaps it's because aggressive moves toward consolidation in recent years, coupled with the, Uh, the natural uh, regulatory and other restrictions on entry getting into the uh, airline industry, they realize that most customers fly particular routes such that most of the time they're not going to have a whole lot of options. And so they've got a somewhat captive audience of customers and so they say, well, why not? Let's do it. Amazing.
3: I want, to, I want to switch gears with you because I got to get to the Supreme Court. You've been in the middle of so many Supreme Court fights and just an absolute warrior for conservatives in um, getting all of those judges in to the, in the Trump years and Supreme Court fights and, and whatnot. What do you make of the Democrats' latest push to try to pack the court?
1: Well, it's, it's like any other effort to pack the court. This is an act of, um, of severe, arrogant legislative overreach and those who are behind this effort spit in the face of judicial independence so not that i'm one who believes in the legitimacy of of the presidentially informed uh, supreme court commission but how can they even consider doing this those who are backing this legislation those who introduced this legislation just recently before even hearing a report from that commission before the letterhead for that commission was even printed um but you know it also flies in the face of an age-old understanding that our our federal court system despite its faults despite its flaws is the best of its kind anywhere in the world And, and we've long had an understanding that one of the reasons that that's the case is that um while some nominations to the Supreme Court of the United States uh, uh, end up being controversial, by and large, the justices themselves have not behaved in a political way. yeah they in in close cases dealing with hot button political issues, sometimes you end up with a five four or six three alignment where you can see some correlation between their uh, the president who nominated them and how they vote it's right. a relatively rare phenomenon actually
3: and, for and the most. And relatively new too.
1: I mean, that's and relatively new Uh, until uh, Robert Bork was nominated in 1987. uh, These things were not political circuses in any way, shape, or form. So it's it's quite remarkable that the Supreme Court has not become a political body in in that time period. But one of the reasons for that is that we've had now for 151, 152 years a nine-member Supreme Court, and we understand that it's a non-political body. Now, Joe Biden is one who agreed that court packing was bad. Back in 1983, he, he said uh, uh, that it was a, quote, boneheaded idea. <laughs> and in fact, he went on to say it's a terrible, terrible mistake to put into question the independence of the most significant body. And here's where his quote got me a little bit. He said, the most significant body, including Congress, in my view. Right. An odd thing to say for a lawmaker, for it's a the legislator, just want to know to the Constitution is saying that the Supreme Court is more significant, but whatever. Um, he said that that was a boneheaded idea and Ruth Bader Ginsburg agreed with him. Yeah. And she went so far as to specifically say that when the last time this was meaningfully attempted, when, when uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt tried it back in 1937, um, uh, she, she said, uh, you know, the same is true today as it was then that if anything, packing the Supreme Court would make it more partisan and that we shouldn't do it. As she said, it was a bad idea then and it is now. So look, there, sadly, Josh, there, there's nothing in the Constitution that expressly prohibits this. In fact, it, Congress does have the power to make decisions like this. But sometimes you have to step beyond the question of whether we could and ask whether we should. And they've gone beyond that. You know, as well as I, that if they do this, it'll become a tit-for-tat. They'll raise it, then we'll raise it. Before long, it'll look like the intergalactic Senate in the Star Wars movies. And it'll be this bizarre partisan combination and a mess. You know, if Comfortably Smug is seated on the Supreme Court, we've gone too far. (laughs) You know... I like the idea of comfortably smug sitting on the Supreme Court. That's a good idea. I think it is, too. He might have to reveal his identity, which is tough, but I th- he might be willing to do it under the right circumstances. The paper bag, you know, like <laughs> the unknown comic famous back in the early 80s. One, one more piece
3: of official business. Um, the Biden administration started off just entirely partisan, right? And, and I guess you shouldn't be surprised because, you know, we've seen the way that Democrats have operated in the last... 10, 15, 20 years. And so, you know, obviously they were, when they had their opportunity to get hands on power, they were gonna try to utilize it. But I've been a little surprised at how audacious it actually is. Um, And I've made the argument that there's an awful lot about this pandemic that goes beyond emergency use. It is actually sort of the way that liberals would like to govern in perpetuity, right? They tell you when you can go to work, who's essential. Who whose kids can go to school? What grades they can? What they can learn? What curriculum we can provide? Right? Managing every detail of the average American's life. I'm wondering if you can kind of if you think that that is has substance. Is that kind of what they're trying to do? You think?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, And and I think they're doing it. um, I, I think that they believe that they're not doing that maliciously. That they're doing it in a benevolent sort of way. Um, Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, described this phenomenon in democracy in America, when he talked about uh, the fact that when a government gets too big and too present in people's lives, uh, you, you're not necessarily preparing them to flourish. You're, you're preparing them to live sort of like, uh, farm animals or something like that, where the exactly. need is provided for. And there are a limited number of decisions for them to make. And I'm uh, uh, butchering the delivery on this, but you, you get the idea. But I, I think there are those uh, in today's Democratic Party who genuinely believe that what we need is more government. And I think in doing that, they behave, you know, perhaps not maliciously, but very naively and, and even more foolishly in thinking that. Because we have to remember, Josh, um, what government is government is nothing more and nothing less than force. It's just the official sanctioned use of collective coercive force. That's it.
3: Hmm.
1: Government doesn't love you. It can't hug you. Hmm. It it lacks the ability to know you because it's just force. Um, and, And sometimes when we attribute to it the uh, the qualities of omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresence as the left increasingly seems to do we're making government the new idolatry as it were and it will always disappoint us because it has one tool and one tool only which is force now look people on the left will always come back uh uh to that, by saying, "No, look at all the good programs that the government has. Look at what it does that that isn't force." You're looking only at the Department of Defense and at, uh, you know, um, law enforcement. Eh, no, that's not really true. I mean, everything government does, it does because it has access to resources, which it has the ability to uh, retrieve um, only because it has the power of force. Yes. Yeah. So what compels people to pay their taxes. And so you've got to be very careful. Force, government force is a little bit, um, you could say it's fairly analogous to say water, fire, oxygen, electricity, all things that are important that we rely on for day to day to maintain life and quality of life. But things that if not carefully managed can be destructive and even deadly. That's what government is. We need it to protect life, liberty, and property to make sure we don't kill each other and take each other's stuff. If we stick to that, we'll do well.
3: That's really well said. You're going to turn some folks into libertarians here this afternoon. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Listen, we got to get to the fun stuff here because I got to get you out of here. And and this is where the rubber meets the road with the minions. They they pay close attention to these questions, Senator. So the first one is your last meal on Earth, if you can
1: choose it. What would it be? All right. So it would have to involve something very unhealthy, without question. Yeah. There would be pizza, there would be ice cream, uh, there would be really good french fries, there would be a lot of fat involved. I'm also imagining um, some type of deep fried pork belly. Oh, I like uh, it. Whether it's thick sliced bacon or something. Uh, but yeah, I, I've given some thought uh, uh, to this over the years. Um, every time you read an article about um, what prisoners order just before they're about to be executed for their, their last right. meal, it makes you wonder what if what if that for me or what if i otherwise knew what my last meal was going to be what would i eat it'd be something very unhealthy uh, along the lines of what i just just described yeah all the I things think as much as anything there would be a lot of ice cream yeah i love that okay
3: grassley said he would do uh, ice
1: cream with a side of pork chop
3: so i think you're sort of on the same wavelength with that
1: <laughs> right well in grassley's case i'm sure there was corn involved and maybe I'm some like based ethanol i don't know <laughs> he drinks the ethanol <laughs> All right. Question two, if you weren't
3: in politics, if you were not a United States senator, what would you be doing with your life?
1: Appellate litigation, of course. (laughs) I mean, what everybody wants to do, it's what every kid dreams of doing when it grows up. It's what all the kids want to be these days. Just Uh, as sexy as it gets. (laughs) I I, I love this stuff. You spend months writing an appellate brief talking about some esoteric aspect of the law, and then you get to go argue it and you get paid for doing it. It's fun. (laughs) I love that.
3: Genuine joy. I could see it in your eye. (laughs) All right. So the final question, this is, you know, there's no right answer, but it divides people and and you'd be surprised at how revealing it actually is. What motivates Mike Lee more, the thrill of victory or the agony of
1: defeat? I'd like to say thrill of victory. I mean, look, both can be motivators. There's no question about it. But one's, um, one's best side is usually brought out by the pursuit of a victory, yeah. by what one wants. It's what puts one in the driver's seat. It's what enables a person to act rather than to be acted upon. It's what differentiates liberty from captivity. So, yeah, definitely the thrill of victory.
3: I love it. Well, you were always a glass half full type of guy, a sunshine warrior. We appreciate it for you. You're in cycle. And because you're a consistent conservative, we've had liberals talking about going after you. Uh, if we can go to your website, I don't even know what it is, but we'll plug it later in the program unless you have it now.
1: LeeForSenate.com. That's LeeForSenate.com. can appreciate uh, uh, support. A little goes a long way. And am um, uh, really grateful that you're willing to visit LeeForSenate.com.
3: You're a gentleman, and you've got that down. I appreciate it, Senator Lee. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much, Josh. So you know, typically we pride ourselves on uh, not being the Federalist Paper crowd, but you know, there's something about Mike Lee where he layers this stuff in this intellectual conservatism that's it makes it palatable, you know, and you can actually kind of learn something. He is undoubtedly one of the smartest, uh, most well read constitutional conservatives have been around in a long time.
0: And here's the thing too. So like as the guardian, you know, according to the guardian, I'm a lawyer. So (laughs) why not put me on the Supreme court? I think, you know, you know, we, we wait a few years, briar steps down smug for the court. That's a good idea. I would, I, you know, I, I, I promise to be a sound jurist. I will, I will stick by
3: I'll just do what Clarence Thomas tells me to do. (laughs) I think what we should do, you'll recall that when, at the end of the Republican nomination fight, was when all of the candidates put out their shortlists of who they would nominate. Yeah.
0: If, yeah. if, oh like. man, right. We got to, we got to start putting pressure on folks. I if, think we if have to, on be, ruthless, to I better, I gotta be like, listen, I mean, maybe you're running for president, but if you were, am I on the shortlist? It's going to be,
3: <laughs> you'll, you'll fill it full of these luminaries. And yeah. Stuff. If you're not in the part of it, we're gonna we're gonna oppose you it's just you, all, that's
4: all there is to it can you imagine smug's first opinion yeah it I would mean just, it would just be, be it'd that be 140
3: g- characters
0: <laughs> it would be it would be, that. be like this is some lib bullshit I
4: <laughs> it'd be that that gi- that giants meme you know <laughs> yes dude of
0: feelings, feelings over facts totally feelings,
4: intuition and magic
0: magic just
2: <laughs> intuition and magic <laughs>
0: That's the cornerstones.
2: Sound decision making.
0: God, I would. I mean, truly, I like this is my solemn oath. If I were put on the Supreme Court, I would just do what Clarence Thomas tells me. I would hold the line, folks. Like, I would love that job. Oh yeah, I yeah, love that would it. Be easy job, right? You just say like, job.
3: Clarence, Great job. which way do we go? Yeah. On? Up yeah. or down?
0: You know, I, I don't know. They all have their like offices and such. So I'm just like chilling in there and like tweeting all day. And then when it's time for for, <laughs> for <court> time, <laughs> I'm like, so Clarence, what's good? Just tell me. Am I voting yes or no?
1: We
4: have a problem. We have a problem here. <laughs> yeah. Smug, Smug has not filled a single vacancy uh, in his office. I, I'm, no I'm, staff. Sitting,
0: I, I'm sitting right next to Clarence, just like copying off his paper, dude, t- <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> and Alito's like, "Nice work, pal! Yeah.
3: Brilliant, brilliant! Nice work. work, pal! I love it."
4: On that. on a on a real note though, it's like yeah, we we aren't the Federalist Papers podcast, but I am glad to know we have people like Mike Lee in the party because totally. Some, we we have to have some of these people out there, you know, that have you know the credentials, um, you know, to advance our agenda. So I'm really glad he came on.
0: And I agree so I- much to Senator Mike Lee for coming on the show. I mean, we've been on just a spree of
3: amazing guests. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. We've got, I mean, we have great week planned next week, including one very big guest who was kind enough to change their schedule because of my COVID situation. My COVID, uh, I'm not, I don't have COVID. I've been vaccinated, which I'm not sure isn't worse than COVID.
0: (laughs) So go get your vaccine. Get your vaccines, folks. Another banger of an episode. Uh, So until next time, Minions keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.